0: Alright, blackboxradio.com. We are here for the third act, the final installment of the Leslie Vass story. Now, if you haven't heard parts one or two, you're gonna make sure you're gonna to wanna to make sure you check those out. You can go to blackboxradio.com and you can get the entire story of this personal look inside the American justice system from the perspective of Maryland's first exoneree, Mr. Leslie Vass. Make sure that you get caught up on this story so you can understand where we are today. As we begin, we're gonna rejoin Mr. Vaz right after he has learned that he got a warrant out for his arrest in 2004, and he's gonna get into the story of what happened next.
1: First degree attempted murder, first degree attempted assault, second degree attempted murder, second degree attempted assault, possession of a deadly weapon.
2: What did this come from? It just came out of the blue? Were you arrested for something? My
1: ex-wife, that I told you about, that was that was was involved in a uh, had substance substance abuse problem. She was on in a on a street in in West Baltimore, which was a drug infested area. She was in a drug house, and she was stabbed. There was a guy with her that supposed to been her boyfriend and they claim she, well, from, from the way, the, way the, the paperwork read, they supposed to observe me come down the street in a camouflage outfit at night, come up on the porch, drag her off the porch up under a street light and stab her. That's what they claim. During the time that all this was supposed to be taking place, I was in East Baltimore writing a bail up for a young lady whose mother had been arrested that lived off of Greenmount Avenue. Everything was established. Um, but nonetheless, I was held without bail for that that incident for a year. My, my issue is that at the bail review hearing, when they started asking me about why, my where was I at and all, I'm telling them, you're charging me with a crime that I had no nothing about, and you're using a conviction that was ordered expunged four different towns, you know, that I got four separate expungement orders and a full unconditional pardon for. I don't know anything about what had happened because I hadn't seen my wife in almost three months, because she would disappear, and I wasn't running around looking for her, you know? When, I, when it became clear to me that she wasn't trying to get the assistance or help that she wanted to, I had four children at home that I was custodial prior to that I was responsible for. That was my concern. I had gotten to a point where I had started, it was a difference now, I'm starting to see the change in people's lifestyles and attitudes and I wasn't part of that, but my mm-hmm. kids were my world. And that's where I was, I was protecting. I was making sure that they were stable and living in the kind of home that they need to live in, that was nurturing and, you know, for us. What happened to her, I, 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 I truly regretted happening to her, I'm sorry, but I had nothing to do with it and they know that, and they, and it was proven. Factual.
2: Oh, she did, she did. she die? Oh,
1: or she, she died, she died on the way to the to the hospital. And they saw they opened her up. and must did something, and they saved her. And I thank God for that. You know, um, when my trial finally came a year later, my daughter Andrea, the one that had actually been Had won the Ben Carson Awards for being having the best academic record in the city of Baltimore. When they brought her into court, I broke down because she was medicated. They had medicated her to the point where she couldn't even hold her head up to testify in this case, in my trial. Mm. You know, to this day, right now. (laughs) Me and my daughter are estranged. Uh, Bad feelings towards the people who was involved in that situation because they knew that I had nothing to do with this. Everything proved it when the the so-called investigating detective for Barber City Police Department is not even called as a witness in an attempt murder. That should put you, you on point. Something is wrong. He didn't want to testify that he never did an investigation. He never did the follow up. There was a hat left by the victim by the person that did the stabbing. They, they never. Tested.
2: Because y'all were married, it was you. That is that right. with it the simulation came from, just because of marriage. Right. But you weren't you weren't together. You was working on the other side of time, town. But just because you were married, that you were yeah. the one who did it.
1: Yeah, they claimed that. So I was mm-hmm. found not guilty after a three-day trial. I was released July the 16th. They released me at 1 o'clock in the morning from the J.I. building. July 16th when? 2000 I had no home I had no place to go I went to uh, somebody was telling me about a place called Prisoners Aid up on 25th Street in East Baltimore which was an organization that had shelter for individuals and I went there by coincidence the fellow who was the director of the program was a fellow named Mike Brown and I started network with Mike and talking to him, and he hired me as the case manager for the Prisoner's Aid Association. I became the case manager that handled the shelter and the 70 housing units that, that Prisoner's Aid had for other people that were renting from them. I ran that whole program, okay? Uh, about a year afterwards it was an issue about some funding for prisoners aid to come up like three thousand three million dollars was missing you know and uh this dude mike brown started asking me to sign my name on receipts coming from the clients that was paying cash money for their uh, housing and I refused. So he and I had a clash. I ended up leaving Prisoner's Aid. And uh, at the time, I, got a, I rented a room in this house on Fayette and Monroe. And I continued to look for employment, work on trying to get housing so that I could get my children out of foster care back home. I talked to a fellow at housing by the name of Reggie Scriber. And Reggie and I had networked before when I worked for, for the Department of Labor License and Regulation. I used to place their clients. They used to send me their clients to place for employment, and I was doing it. He uh had me complete the papers for Section 8, so forth, and... I think two months later, he called me and told me they had a dwelling for me out Cherry Hill on Bethune Road, if I wanted it. All I wanted was my children home. I went to Cherry Hill and actually saw the place. I then signed the paperwork and moved in there. The lady from uh foster care told me I need to get beds and all that stuff, and they would help me. They would get the beds and all. Uh, my son Diamante, my daughter Lydra, were then brought back to court. We had an emergency hearing. They were brought back to court. This was a year and a half after I had been home, going on two years that they had been in foster care. And they released them back into my custody. My daughter, Alicia, and Andrea were at a place called the Children's Home up in Catonsville. And I had been visiting them faithfully, all of them, during the time that this was going on, to let them know that I was working on getting a place. And when I got the place, I let them know that they would be coming home. Finally, I was able to get another hand for Alicia to come home and they released her. Andrea, they transferred, they refused to release, said that she was having disciplinary problems, and they sent her to Shepherd Pratt. Another year went by. I'm still looking for employment. I'm doing work on commission for different attorneys, legal work for like Roland Walker. I'm getting big cases. I'm running pretty good money. So I'm able to, you know, make sure the kids is okay and our uh, rent is taken care of. Uh, because of them coming home, I then had to apply for child support from their mothers, which is a mandatory requirement that they force you to do abundant social service when you receive social service TCA, cash benefits, right? And, um, I, you know, I, I had an issue about that because I felt like, you know, which, why should you have to force their mother to make payments to, to help me with them when they are our children? But I did what I had to do. And finally, I was able to get an agreement reached that as long as I kept uh, uh, Andrea in therapy, that they would release her and they would just monitor her.
2: Four years they were released. Three years. Three years. How long were they forced to care? Three years.
1: Three three and a
2: half years. Three and a half years. And a half years. Okay. And that's
1: what what happened was just before just before that, I I moved from I was able to ask ya became employed again with the public defender's office as an intake specialist paralegal initially when that job was offered to me i wasn't too happy to accept it because i wasn't working for the public pretenders i know what my experience was with them and i had no respect for them i didn't have any respect for their attorneys because they only tried to manipulate us into accepting deals or ways they can't close cases out they didn't want to work they didn't want to do the things that they're supposed to do to to actually help someone prove their innocence if if that was the case it was all about you know the state prosecutor and the public defenders working hand in hand to convict people that's how i felt that's what i learned but What happened was I was uh, asked to come down to the William Donald Schaefer Building on Baltimore Street to meet with the new secretary for the Public Defender's Office, a man by the name of Paul DeWolf. And when I met with Mr. DeWolf, I was introduced to him from a lady who flew from California that ran what they call a life after exoneration program. Her name was Lola Volan, Dr. Lola Volan, a professor at Berkeley University in California who I had been networking with. She flew from there here to Maryland to introduce me to Mr. DeWolf. And when I talked with Mr. DeWolf and seen what his plans were for change, I decided I would work with them. He introduced me to my supervisor who who would become my supervisor, a lady by the name of Natalie Fenneker. Natalie Fenneker was the chief felony trial attorney for the district court at Walbass. That's where I started working at in the Walbass Courthouse up in Baltimore, Maryland. I worked with them. I was able to network with some very positive, up up-thinking people. When I say that, I'm saying individuals who were about the law and not color. If it didn't work, they wasn't trying to manipulate nobody to accept deals. I, uh, before I actually accepted that job with the Public Defender's Office, I was invited to make a presentation in the, it's called the social work department for the public defender's office, where all the social workers for the whole state of Maryland was in a conference at a BWI airport where I made my presentation. I invited my mother to come see me make my presentation. And uh, after I made my presentation at that uh, conference with the social workers for the whole public defender's office, uh, I believe my relationship with my mom became a little bit better. We started talking more and networking and trying to work through with things that had been going on. But that position was only, only, for like a year and a half, and then the funding that was supposed to been gotten for my position to be a permanent employee was denied by Martin O'Malley, who was now the governor for the state. Okay, let me ask
2: you, um, me ask you a question.
1: Look <laughs> <laughs> how yeah. people
2: keep coming back. <laughs> it's like they keep coming back. Let me ask you a question. So, during this this time, this was this a job that the state owed. Was this something? Were they giving no. you? Would they owe you no. the job that you got? With this, was this a something that was a part of the the first agreement? It was no. not.
1: No, it wasn't. This was because I couldn't. After I, after I got released from the that second wrongful thing, without they held me without bailing my children and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I I started advocating really hard then because then I had gotten a little recognition through the justice community all across the United States done. So I was networking with the organizations from California, uh, organizations from
2: South Carolina, organizations from Chicago. You were networking with all of us, so you were able to get a job through your network. Right. It the was not were, the state. The state never gave you a job. Well, they never gave me a job. They, they never, never gave, gave you a job. job. Okay. So then the uh-huh. same job that they never gave you, was funded for a certain amount of time and the player that came back in, Martin O'Malley, who's the governor, denied
1: he the rest of the funding for it. He denied okay. it. what happened was they they petitioned the governor to put the money into the account so that I could actually be hired as a as a permanent employee and he denied it.
2: Wow. And this is what year 2013?
1: This is 2013. 2013. I started Legal Wizard, Inc., my paralegal service.
2: Legal Wizard, Inc.
1: I got a building up on Belvedere, West Belvedere, and Ricestown Road. And I was doing pretty good with the work that I was doing. I also had a contract with the State of Maryland Public Defenders Office serving subpoenas for them. That was guaranteed, right? And I'll continue forth from there. Um, in 2018, I did a podcast for Actual Innocence, and they invited me to the Innocent Network Conference, which is from the Innocent Project, which was being held in Memphis, Tennessee for the 50th anniversary celebration of the assassination of Martin Luther King. I went there for the very first time, met with all the other exonerees. There was over 300 of us there. Um, I met with a lot of exonerees from all across the United States, all over the world. I met a fellow from Africa, from, from Johannesburg, you know, the first African exoneree. He and I sat at the table together eating. Uh, we stay in touch and I met a lady that started a program. She was an exoneree from Florida who had been on death row. Her mm-hmm. husband had been on death row with her. He was actually executed and his body caught on fire. Mm-hmm. After we talked and stuff, she told me she had read about my story and all. She seen my credentials. Uh, she wanted to offer me a position at a program that they would get ready to start in Tampa, Florida. My youngest daughter, that little girl that was four years old, she's now 17, getting ready to graduate from Parkville High School where we lived at now, up just below Towson. Mm -hmm. So I was explaining to her that I wouldn't make a decision until after my daughter graduated because I wanted to see her, you know, That's that's my baby. I want to make sure I'm there for her. Once she graduated, she told me she wanted to continue her education and go to college. So I was making preparations to help her do what she wanted to get done. When I made the decision to travel to Tampa, the people from the organizations did my itinerary, set up my travel plans, accommodations and everything. And I went there. Saw so the place that they was talking about. I was going to be staying at the program that I I met with another exoneree who was a death row exoneree from Ohio by the name of Derek Jamison. You know, he and I were there. Uh, we met with people and talked with people. And then the next thing I know here come the news media, and I'm saying I don't I'm not doing no interviews and stuff because that's not what I'm here for. If I'm here to work, I'm here to work my story has nothing to do with my employment history you know now i'm a professional individual that has been a trainer for the state of maryland i didn't you know because I mean, we're going th- through things i'm not going backwards but my field is though my credentials and what i've established shows what i'm about when it concerns my position as far as employment okay um Instead, they were saying, well, Leslie, this is how we're going to be able to fund our organization by your stories. But I'm like, you know, I wasn't homeless when I came here. I lived in a three-bedroom, two-bath townhouse in Baltimore. I owned my own business. I had a contract with the state of Maryland. If it become known that I'm in Florida talking about I was homeless in Maryland, people, that's fraud. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be part of that. So I went through a situation with the people at the Sunny Center in Tampa, Florida. And then after nine months, I was just frustrated and said, you people ain't doing nothing but using people, and put me back at Maryland where I was at, right? So they packed up all my stuff, and I drove from Merlin, from Tampa, Florida back to Maryland. When I got back to Maryland, I didn't have a home, you know? I'm still, you know, trying to get re-relocated and resituated. Friend of mine who was a former uh, NBA basketball player by the name of Jesse Spinner lives in California, and he had told me, "Look, man, I got this fellow out here that has a reentry program. He has six other houses. He just purchased another house in southern, the southern Pacific part of California. You know." He want a case manager. you think you can handle that? So I said, okay. So I packed everything up and I left Maryland. So this was 2018? 2018. 2018. 2019 Thanksgiving, I arrived at the house in Oxnard, California.
2: Okay.
1: The re-entry program that I was supposed to be the case manager for. Uh, once I get there, me and the owner of the property, we have differences because it's the way you talk to people and it's the way you don't talk to people. And I'm not one that I'm allowing that to happen. I'm not naive and stupid like I was before. You know Mm -hmm. So he asked me to do what they call a live scan out in California, which is a background check in, in Maryland. I did the live scan, once I did the live scan, February the 8th, 2020, he came into the house, into the re-entry house, property, and yelled up to stuff. Leslie, get the fuck down here, <laughs> you know? Talk to really? me like that. Excuse wow. my excuse my lady. Oh, no, 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 you can curse. That's how he called me, you that's know? Fine. I'm sixty-two years old.
0: He's like, I know. You just telling me now, I'm cursing. I would
2: have been cursing. <laughs> yeah, sixty-two <laughs> years old. He's telling you, get the f down here. What's wrong yeah, with him?
1: He, I mean, no, but I'm I said I dressed it up because I didn't want to get into all the way he said it, all the things he was saying. You know, you are lying.
2: You ain't got dressed it.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, you know, I ain't undressed it. Yeah, but, but uh I addressed him. You know, because when I come down, the street, I'm asking, "What's what's the problem? Why you talking to me like that?" He told me, "I got the live scan back, this shit on the record, and all that." And I said, "Look, man, I explained to you that I went through this before. I In '98, I got compensated from the state." I said, "You said you was aware of everything about my history. You seen all the videos, the stories, and all this on the internet and all, but yet instead, this is the results of the things that I've been going through all my life, right? You know? And he said something that was truly disrespectful to me and I told him, seriously, it's time for me to leave because I'm not going to stay here. Even, you know, man, uh, we can't go no further, you know? So I started packing my car that day. I contacted this uh, fellow in an organization in New Orleans, and they overnight delivered me 500 dollars. right
2: well, well, let me ask you a question so this guy he did he tell you you were fired i know y'all had the guy from um the program the entry program in california he found out your live scan so yeah. he told you you were fired i don't want to know what he said but yeah. did you quit or did he fire you he get the fuck out of my house oh that means you
1: you fired so When he said that to me, and the way he said it to me, let me explain something. I was a victim of the judicial system when I was in prison. I wasn't a victim of anybody else. You understand? Mm -hmm. So I have a, there's certain morals and principles I stand firm on. And there's a way that a person is gonna approach me and talk to me, and I don't care who it is. But when he he said it, it was time for me to go because it was going to be a problem between
2: him and I. And Absolutely. I saw it. So I left. So the guy who's the head of the reentry program. Right. So this is the reentry. Am I clear? That reentry right? program. Right. So the guy who's the head of helping people get back into society is ousting you out and, 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 and treating you as if you are a felon or a bad person because he knows your story. Am I correct? Right. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, you said it right. And guess what? He was an ex-felon himself. Oh. He was. He had a double life sentence that he pled guilty to for killing two people in a drug deal. And when he did, when he when he said what he said to me, I mean, I'm on. I'm, I mean, I have to be honest with you. I, I come from a different mold. I try to explain when I said what I said about the people that I know and people that raised me, there's a manner that you approach and you say things to certain people. And I'm not one of them kind of people that accept certain things like that. So I felt it was best for me to vacate his property. Okay, I, I
2: understand. So he's an, an ex fellow.
1: He's love. an ex felon also. He's an ex up He was out on parole and he got his, his wife was the one that did the financing for him to actually purchase these properties that he got to make them re-entry programs. He carried me around to meet all the other individuals that was the house managers and all that. And I could tell from their attitude and what was being said that they went along with what they went along with because that was their position. I wasn't, you know? The criminal conviction came up. I was able to contact the people in New Orleans who sent me overnight, delivered the funding to me so that I could leave. I left there. I started driving. I got to uh, I-40 East in Mexico, in New Mexico, when the head gasket went up on my 03 Cadillac with everything in it. It I had AAA. I had AAA take my vehicle to Santa Rosa, which was the nearest city to where I was. I was actually broke down out on them highways, on between them big boulders and rocks out there in New Mexico, right? Wow. Uh, when I got there, when I, when they told me that the vehicle would cost me so much to be fixed, I left there. My daughter and them got me a bus ticket to come. Where I'm at now. And I left.
2: And that when I so got all here, things, let me ask a question. All your things was in that car.
1: Everything was in the vehicle. Everything. What I could I couldn't carry but so much. I got two duffel bags that I could put some clothes and underwear and cosmetics and you know stuff in to just hold me for a minute. And I got I, I had to get from Santa Rosa, which was 155 miles away from Albuquerque, and they paid a driver 2 240 dollars to drive me. wasn't no Ubers, there was no lifts, there was no trains, no buses that come to Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, New Mexico. There's none of that there. I took the tag off my vehicle. Uh, I left the key with the people. At a hotel and put it out on the road and abandoned it. Uh, the driver took me, brought me to Albuquerque. I caught the bus and rode the bus to get where I'm at. And now I presently stay where I'm at. I contacted the state of Maryland, the Treasurer's Department in Annapolis, and I have a complaint pending with them. For this wrongful conviction coming up again.
2: So that's the story to today.
1: That's the story to today. So time for the reflection.
2: Reflections. Well, you know, we're we're a media entity and we're neutral. We're just collecting the story but um, we're human too. And I got a sign behind me and it says Black Lives Matter. And when I hear stories like this, um, and I can't say this system is not affecting other groups in this manner, but the data determines my thought. And the data sp- speaks the same as what happened to Leslie. Black men are being corralled into a system. Uh, the penal system is is, is geared to uh, keep our society in a place where there's accountability and the protection for its citizens. Totally understand. But this corrections corporations of America and this prison system that we have in this country, it is flawed. It is, um, it is. It belies in the same white supremacy apparatus that I speak about. And when you see these type of stories where you don't even give a damn of black black children, this guy, this young man was 17. You would think grown men would protect him, but they were the biggest predator in this in the story that he's given to us. I can't. Um, I am not the judge and jury here, but from what I hear, this is not regular.
0: So. I think that a lot of times when we, um, when people talk about systems and, and kind of the way that they work, it, it's a very impersonal, sort of monolithic, sort of monster that's out there that you can't put your finger on. One of the yeah. things that really stood out to me was the way that he was able to put sort of the the relationships and the people who are involved in context. So it's not some intangible thing, it's people who are in positions of power maintaining their relationships and trading favors with each other and cooperating with each other at the detriment and in disservice of the the justice of the people who they are charged to serve. So it's difficult to, you know, you can say, oh, the system is broken, corrupt, and, and those are very, very true things, but they're not very concrete, or there's no way to address that really, because you're just making just a broad statement. But when you break it down to understanding that these are people, human beings, that are placed in positions of power or raised up to positions of power, and their interest in maintaining those positions is predicated on the relationships they have with other people in those positions. So at Mm. some point, those relationships and the do- that those dynamics and the preservation of that power becomes what's operative in terms of the decisions that are made that are to the detriment of the people who are trapped in these systems. So the, wow. the challenge is the fact that the incentives, the way that the incentives are set up, the way that people are rewarded and recognized for their achievements is in producing law and order as in
2: Absolutely. demonstrating and
0: yes in it demonstrated uh uh execution of justice, making the public safe, putting criminals away. All, mm-hmm. all of these things are the metrics that they use for their political, you know, that they use for political currency and relationship oh. currency. That is so so, true. so the Would system you? so when you, when oh. you're talking about the justice system and the corruptions in it really is human beings using their relationship authority, re- using their positions of power to elevate themselves at the expense of black people, of, at the expense of uninformed people who come in contact with the system, uh, at the expense of the, the community that they are nominally, uh, at least nominally charged to be of service to and to protect under the law. So when we talk about systems and, you know, I think it was really the most valuable thing about his experience and the way that he shared it was demonstrating those um, relationship dynamics and the way that the corruption works and the way that the politics works. And, and I think just looking at the incentives that were at play, You're uh, really, that, that it puts things into focus. So, yes,
2: you feel it. I mean, what you said is the most prophetic ditto, You're always the smartest in the room. That's why I love it. Listen, yeah. systems are systems, people make them work. Right. In this case, we see the application of power, applying it against either black people, uninformed, he's a young man, he's a kid, all of this comes into play. But the same system that starts. This judicial system we call is the same system that derives slavery. So we just see a movement well, of I the think same w- principles into a legality of ownership and playing with people's lives. Cause this is what's happening.
0: Right. And and, and also
2: apparatus is just being tweaked to modernization.
0: Well, I think one of the things too is the way that it um, the way that people and especially in Leslie's story, we were glad to see Leslie back, um, the way that people were trying to sort of protect themselves and protect their reputation and protect uh, you know, they didn't want to bring the system into the trial because it clearly Absolutely. failed. So Absolutely. whenever you I think great lengths are taken to deny any culpability in that case because it undermines the credibility and the credibility sure. and the authority of the system uh, that, that is even when Leslie had the conversation with the state's attorney, he said, the state's attorney clearly said, I am here on behalf of the state and my interest is in protecting or representing the interest of the state in this matter.
2: And this is a black man. We're talking about a black man. So all about Keeping your position and keeping the state and the system in check. It doesn't matter.
0: Well, one of the things about, I think one of the things about like the legal system, in in any case, the state is his client, and he was hiding behind that client. He was hiding behind that client yeah. relationship Absolutely. in that matter in order to disregard the humanity and the um the plight of Mr. Voss
2: of Mr. Voss. Yes. Yeah. And, and can you and hear
0: us okay, th- Leslie? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yes. Yeah, See, so y'all just talk.
1: We we no. <laughs> We no, no, doing no, 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 no. I
2: love it. I'm we need it. We need it. We're actually discussing Brother Boss um and our what we our resolution from what we heard from you and how systems are systems, but people make them diabolical and more malicious by actions. And right. the people of power in your case, they utilize their power. To keep you in a place to not expose the system, right? You know, if if they had just been made the system culpable early in your case, everyone came towards you to protect the system and allow you to take the time, and right. ruin your life. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's what we see.
1: And that's what. And that's what it was. That's exactly how it was. You know, uh, this this I doing the calm and me trying to get back on line with you. I went in here and I looked at the Unger decision thing, right? The landmark case is called Unger versus Merlin. So Unger, versus Unger versus Maryland. Unger, U-N-G-E-R versus Merlin. I'm gonna look when that you up. Get a chance, when you get a chance, look at that. They said, with support from the ABLE Foundation, the Justice Policy Institute looked at what happened when Merlin released nearly 200 older people from prison as a result of the Unger versus Merlin case, right? Wow. That, okay. that shows something but they don't tell what happened in those individual cases. Right. In each sure. one of them individual cases. Everybody has, a
0: story. Everybody,
2: story. has a story.
0: everybody
2: has
1: You familiar with it?
2: No, no. We're just saying everybody has a story, and that's how the system plumps everybody together to make it not look so bad. So right. we release 200 and we don't talk about each person has intricacies that was malicious, that had right. to have some diabolical intent, but the system is not exposed when you release 300 at a time, everybody's right. celebrating the release and no one is talking about the actual right. time that was reclaimed. We're not talking right. about that time. So, so that's what the system does. It protects itself all the time. And we wonder why we can't get past ourselves in these perspectives it's because we live in a system that is so insidious yeah. to to the human, and it's called white supremacy. and And you can see how it goes into the justice system; it goes into every apparatus in which we live in. But back to you, back to you. What is the name of the book that Pipeleg threw down to you? That book is a is a bad book. What's that book?
1: It, it was the it's the Merlin Annotated Code, Article Twenty Seven.
2: The Merlin, Merlin. Annotated Merlin. So a black man, if he go to prison in Merlin, he better find this book or find this code.
1: What he need to do is now they have it, they change it to the Merlin Rules of Procedure.
2: Merlin Rules of Procedure. Yeah, a He's criminal He's giving you some good stuff. Merlin Rules of Procedure.
1: They have Merlin Rules of Criminal Procedures and Merlin Rules of Civil Procedure.
2: Got it. I had you the Merlin Rules, Rules of Criminal and yeah. you should have those if you go into if, – if something happens to you and you need to know the system, you should have those two books.
1: That, that's what you should have. That's exactly what you should have. Because, see, it gives you it, – it shows you if you look and read it according to as it is and then do the applications for the different case law it directs you to, it'll show you exactly the procedures that's supposed to be followed by the court. By the law, you know? Got it. So that, they
2: can't do what they did to you. There's no railroading when you know this book, when you know the like, steps.
1: you know this book, you, they, if, if you do, it's because you were allowed, you know?
2: Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Now, let me ask you a question, and, and, we, and we're moving towards closing, closing out. What do you expect at this point? Because at 62, from what I've heard, brother, you've lost a lot. Um the blessing is you still have your life and you have an incredible memory and a recall that i want to i want to know where that memory comes because i can't remember yesterday, so you're a bad man you have it, but I know this is a story that 's imprinted in your brain because it was it, it's, it's hurt you so what do you ex- what is your expectations going forward because you have a um a complaint in about this last issue what are you what are you expecting from Marilyn and and what do you expect to come from this conversation that we had today?
1: You know, first and foremost, I, I really would like for the, for this for this story that you're publishing, for it to, for others that are still dealing with the wrongful imprisonment or dealing with the judicial system itself, uh-huh. to look at my story and understand that you have to be you have to be consistent with this. You just kind not leave it up to the attorney to look out for your, your well-being, your rights, and all that. You have to become aware of what's going on when you're dealing with this type of life, when you're dealing with the judicial system as a whole. Uh, I'm, I'm, my, my, my goal with with the state now as a resolution is they compensate me for the continued injustice that I've endured over the years because of that wrongful conviction. And they admit, that the, which, is, which is something they're not gonna do. But, you know, just recognition that what was done was wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Because maybe the next person, hopefully God forbid, they don't have to go through what I've went through for as long as I've went through it, you know?
2: Uh
1: It shouldn't take 40 years to expunge a record. It shouldn't take 40 years to try to make whole what you did years ago willingly, you know? Uh, Agreements, legal binding agreements that if someone was indebted to the state. You could bet a million or one. Uh,
2: they they would collect re- Oh. You understand?
1: They <laughs> so what's the difference in reciprocating the same back to the individual that's harmed? You know? You can't I can't never get back to time or the things that my children have been exposed to when they when it wasn't on them to be in this situation, it's like make me a criminal and then when you admit and acknowledge that, I, that it was wrongful then you still make my children a liability of the state and subjected to the injustices and the, the atrocities that are, are faced inside these kind of institutional environments. Exactly. Even though they weren't in a jail they were deprived they were denied, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I could never forgive them for. There's nothing they can say to me about that. I'm not no lolly dolly, happy everybody person because you took from me, I I, I dealt with that. But you took from my babies, and they had nothing to do with any of this, you know? So, yeah, no. there's no. something that I wish upon, no crime. I wish upon no man, I wish upon no woman, but I hope and pray that anybody that's sitting in any prison across the world, if they see my story, they understand, you know, this is something that can happen to you because it happened to me.
2: Hmm. Leslie? Um... We, um, we just felt that it was important to um, tell the story. Um, being, we live in, we are in Baltimore. Um, Baltimore has an, is incredibly chaotic right now. Yeah. Um, with, with, when it, we're talking about COVID-19, we're also talking about the pandemic of violence in Baltimore city from wow. lack of the same system that, we com- that we're complaining about, wow. has, has definitely killed Baltimore City in so many different ways. And so your story um, is so endemic of what's going on in this country. And um, as a media entity, um, it is our job to let people make their own decisions. And we just lay out the framework and today you laid out a, a incredible amount of framework. Um and I don't know who I don't know what someone could uh get from this or if they're going to say what you know how they will feel about it. I know that I'm hurt. I know my heart is hurting for you in a lot of ways. And um we hope that um we that this definitely um wakes some people up and gets them to the point where you can have the real conversations about going forward in your life. And right. um, whatever you can do in that process, we would like to assist you in that as much as possible. Um, we we wish you um, all the blessings. And of course, we will stay in touch. Both we really we, for you and your children, um, we, 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 um, for, for the state of Maryland, I say, I'm sorry. I really do um it's nothing I mean I, I didn't do it but I feel it and and I really say I'm sorry brother I really do and um I hope that um in this lifetime that um there is something there is something out there for you you don't go through these type of things and and I don't want you to get emotional but you don't go through these type of things for no reasons and um I'm my heart hurts for you real talk um, it makes me emotional that um your life has been affected and children's lives has been affected like this. So on behalf of Black Box Radio, um and G can say what he needs to say. This is what I'm gonna say. This is a half of Queen. I am um, I wish the very best for you. And um I'm so sorry this happened to you. As a young man, as a as a um, middle-aged man, as an older man, for you to continue to be, to go through this. God has a plan for you, my brother. And um, it, it was a long path, but the light is shining. That's all yes. I can say. And yes. be blessed.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank brother, you. Blessed.
0: Yeah, Brother Leslie, yeah,
1: uh,
0: I, I, I would like to say as well, I, how much I appreciate you um, doing the emotional labor of going through that story and reliving those moments in such a vulnerable and authentic way so that Mm. others can truly understand exactly what the human toll is um, for people who are are victims of an unjust and corrupt system. Uh, It's an abstract idea for some people, but you shared with such authenticity and with such vulnerability that I, I honestly believe that a lot of people are going to be moved and there will be a- actions that can come from this that can make other people's lives better as a result of the story that you shared.
1: So I appreciate okay. you for that. Thank appreciate you, man. It. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Thank y'all very
2: much. Thank you. All right. And I promise you, uh, we, we will stay late. I'm going to, we will talk. So you okay. be blessed. Brother. Thank
1: you.
2: You know, Leslie came back in and made made us emotional
0: yeah i mean it's, it's very powerful what you it's say
2: you don't you don't express your emotion the same way and that's fine right um leslie went through this he has to be emotional absolutely I'm absolutely emotional and I emotional. yeah right. so he has to be i understand his emotion and i'm a woman so that tells you where that is we emotional beings so listen and hey, I'm not saying
0: I, nothing like, I, I ain't saying nothing about that. That's, well, I
2: said, it right. when I see children who go through this, where, you know, when children are being affected as a woman, that, that takes us to a whole new place. We bring life. Um, so that is a whole new other Avenue that hurt my heart, but just for him being a 17 year old and his life being charted by other people, that's what's so scary about these type of systems and we're in 2020 and we have this racism and this protesting going on, but we, we're now seeing how systems with the, with the same thing that we're protesting, the white supremacy and the power, the powerfulness of people who benefit from white supremacy and how they utilize this power and continue to allow the system to malign, maliciously hurt and maim and and just kill people mentally and physically. So this this is Leslie Vasa's story. He's the first Merlin exoneree. Um, what's the day, Gene? The day is just 6 six twenty second mm-hmm. twenty. June twenty second. Um, we're three days removed from Juneteenth. Um, and I don't know what else to say. I'm stunned. That's all I can say. I've never heard anything like this. So it's very, I've never been to jail, thank God, as a black woman. I've never had problems with the law, thank God, as a black woman. I do not know, I've been, you know, around police and their foolishness, but I've never had this type of thing happen to me. I couldn't even phantom. I was such a, I was so immature at 17. I could not even imagine going through what he went through. So I'm, I usually am not lost for words.
0: Well, I (laughs) mean, I I, think he, yeah, I think.
2: I don't know what
0: to say. Well, I don't think there's really much more to say. He, I I mean, I think people definitely can see how, if, if you can imagine where you, where you were at different points and the different challenges that he overcame, you can appreciate all of the different, not so obvious ways that people are victimized and impacted by the corruption of a system that has so much power in our society. Um, and I think from an action standpoint, having people who are educated and informed about what happens is one important first step. Having people know where to turn and how to find the information that they need is a very important step and thing that they can take away from this. Of and, course, exactly. and And also, I think there's a piece about accountability for people who are in elected positions, accountability for their record with regards to cases like this, and having an understanding of what those positions, the people who you are in elected positions specifically, having more awareness about the way that they are operating in these positions and the decisions that they're making, and exercising that accountability in the form of your votes, in a form of... Reaching out to city council members and other people who are charged with charged with um, the people who you've already put in who can apply accountability to these in these systems. Those are steps that, if you're listening, that you can take.
2: Well, let me ask a question, and this is to be devil's advocate because as we listen to Leslie's stories, the same players come in and out the story. Do you see how? Right, and mayor, I think a
0: lot of and a lot of you, that.
2: You know, they just move around state's attorney, then mayor. Right. Then mayor, then city council, then governor. They, they they all are the same people. And
0: they, they just count, they count and they on up. you well, they count on disengagement and lack of accountability from the electorate. That's one of the things that they people count on. Um, there isn't any accountability from the public in terms of people who are aware and are voting people out. They, are, they do a good job of papering over the work, what they're doing in the community. And if the people aren't informed and they're not aware of the way that these things work, then there isn't any public accountability for it. So- So the get, only
2: accountability for, for a person in society is the electorate? Why isn't there motifs no in the system well, to account I, for the behavior you see of a Conrad, or of a Schaefer, of an O'Malley, of a Smoke? Why is there no- chiefs in the system that they can go into this system which was made well you know why because the system is made <laughs> to hurt. right well I'm not made to help absolutely
0: I, absolutely about? and and what i'm and the point that i'm making is when i look at when you look at the points in leslie's story when he was able to get traction in many cases it was an elected official who was able to go in and put pressure on the judges on the, in the system. The congressman who, who, um, who wasn't able to directly intervene because of where he was, but was able to point him in a direction and to- Oh, you mean Perry make, Mitchell? Correct, well, correct.
2: Well, Perry Mitchell was the only one in this story, and of course, he's a phenomenal man. But and, Perry, well, Mitchell, Perry Mitchell- Well, Perry Mitchell and the judge. Judge well, the Bell. judge, yeah. right. those two were so, the, Look at, um, yeah, that's true. Those two were the right. ones who really- they went out of the system to help him, which right. is a blessing.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, we're not, not even out of the system, especially with, with respect to the job. He just did his job. Do you know well, what I'm
2: saying? That's out of the system, though, because the system, the people within the system was, was coming to him through the system. Well, and he said, listen, I'm going to use my, my, je- I, my the power that I have. He chose to be human because the system would have, if he played along, he was just b- being a part of the system. Well, no, was, so
0: I don't I don't I don't want to conflate the law itself with the way that people use it. So when you when you say the when you say the system, when you say people who are abiding within the system, there wasn't anything extra judicial or outside of the realm of judicial authority that the judge did. He operated under the it. authority of the law. So absolutely. So I'm not
2: saying you're safe. That means that when someone starts your begin the beginning of your case. That you can you can feel safe here and and actually um, state your case. There was a conversation, bruh. That is a preemptive statement from a backyard conversation. I don't know it, and I'm not. But that judge made that on made that, and that's why that record is gone, <laughs> because right. that statement right there tells you right. there's a precluded conversation about this is what we're doing for Mr. Vass today.
0: Right. Well, one he thing said, I want to be. One, one thing I want to be careful of doing is not rehashing his, his story in too much detail no, because we might get something, we might miss a detail. I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on those specifics. I guess okay. I'm just talking about from the standpoint of what an average citizen can do, that is what's within their authority. You're right. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, that, that is the thing that is within the authority of just a person that's living in the world, doing a regular job these are the tools that's at your disposal. Um, Absolutely,
2: that's not a regular job. I mean, you can make, we can say that, but being a judge is not regular. No, I'm, si- what
0: I, no I'm not talking about the judge. I'm talking about our listener. Got when it. I say our listener, I'm talking about accountability of the officials that are elected to serve you and working, and working with your city council person with, to address these things. Those are the tools that are available to the citizen, to the person in the community, who is not a okay. lawyer, who is not, you know, you have to assume that people who are listening don't have any type
2: of relationships or any inside power or knowledge. Internet, um, you're saying the internet, the, like these books he said, and the right. voting power. Those vote, you right. Say being,
0: those. Right. Being informed, being and informed are. and also being informed and sharing that information and also yes. creating accountability through the elected officials are actionable things that everyone can do
2: yeah, everyone Don't, can right got it got it Got it. because the system is a is a macro movement right it's very hard to go after it but microly right. right yeah you
0: can't operate you can't operate on that scale so after- the thing the thing that right. discourages a lot of people is so often when we have these conversations they walk away with a sense of helplessness or a sense of what can i do about it so i think it's really important to put a fine point on a specific thing that is within the realm of action for, you know, any citizen or any concerned community member that wants to um, move in the direction of justice for people who are being victimized by the system.
2: All right, so Black Box Radio is given actual tools and a process or in a, ju- in a judicial process of what the regular, any regular person can do to better their, their space in society that's what you're saying right
0: well i mean I, i'm if they're
2: in trouble or they right. have some issues judicial system
0: right I'm, I'm really just trying to highlight what what the lessons learned from the conversations i'm not qualified to give anybody any tools these this now, is what that's my takeaway
2: a tool is be informed that's right. a tool you right. know you want to if, if you and like he said the merlin rules of criminal procedure and, and or um civil procedure if you're in prison those are books that maybe you want to pick up to kind of see what's going on with you. And if you have- Or, uh, or
0: if, you're a fa- if you have a family member that's incarcerated, because you know-
2: Exactly, right. you can help. Or you can go on the internet and like he said, and look things up.
0: Yeah, that, so, that, those regulations, that book is available online. Like the, a, that regulation,
2: right, yeah. given actual like tools that you can use because that's the number one thing is because someone else will have this problem. The system hasn't changed. The power in place in the system has not changed. So you have to get to a place where you know you know the law. And right? I mean, that's the right. only way. Well, to...
0: Yeah, I, I think you, you have to be very clear that it's your responsibility at the end of the day to advocate for yourself.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We could talk about this forever because my emotions is high. Um, I, I, I don't even have a final thought right now. I have so many things in my mind. <laughs> um, you final thoughts first and maybe I can come with something.
0: No, I'm, I'm done. I just gave mine. You're done? I, I gave mine about the things to do hold hold, <laughs> hold elected official accountable get informed that that was my it. that was it for me
2: okay well i am a to did all that um and um this has been the story of the first exoneree, leslie bass um, this is black box radio you have been this is the raw short
0: yes we T- out. The four-hour short.
2: The four-hour raw show. It's a mini-series. <laughs> this here raw. Right. But you're gonna do that. And we thank you guys for um, rolling with us. We out. Peace. Peace.